Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, the teaching this afternoon comes from the Belgian Confession, Article 2. You can find that on page 499 of your books of praise. The title of the article is How God Makes Himself Known to Us. One Christian theologian has described the gap between humanity and God as an ugly ditch. And we as humans are incapable of traveling over that ditch to know God. It is God who needs to reveal himself to us. And in this article of the Belgian Confession, we confess with the church how God does that, namely that he does that in two specific ways. So let's read that together. How God makes himself known to us. We know him by two means. First, by the creation, preservation, and government of the universe, which is before our eyes as a most beautiful book, wherein all creatures, great and small, are as so many letters leading us to perceive clearly God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, as the Apostle Paul says in Romans 1.20. All these things are sufficient to convict men and leave them without excuse. Second, he makes himself more clearly and fully known to us by his holy and divine word, as far as is necessary for us in this life to his glory and our salvation. That's what we confess as a church. I'm going to preach twice on this article, and this afternoon we're going to spend special attention just to the first part of what we confess as a church concerning God's revelation to us through creation. Yes, I forgot, I'm sorry. We have Kingdom Kids so the children can leave with their teacher, Mrs. Shooten. Sorry for forgetting about you guys. How God makes himself known in creation. A couple of weeks ago, my family and I were driving a church and we go down, if you know the, the roads in this part of Ottawa, we were traveling down Fallowfield and we turn left up Maryvale and on either side there's uh, open fields and we're driving along chatting on our way to church in the morning and then just a little bit in front of the car I saw a very bright white bird fly in front of the car and I thought it was a seagull which would be odd to see in the middle of winter. It was an overcast day, the sky was gray and the snow seemed kind of pale blue but there was a bright white bird flying in front of us and then the bird turned around and I saw it for what it was. It was a snowy owl. He sort of swooped down and he came across again across the road hunting some prey and you could see his face and his, his big eyes and as he swooped past, God revealed himself to me and the snowy owl spoke to me. Now another example from another bird. This one I've seen multiple times. Her name is Rosie Cotton. She's the budgie that lives in the cage belonging to our sister Shawnee Wildeboer. Not so long ago, Shawnee posted on her Facebook page a picture of all of the feathers, that, the different kinds of feathers that she's been collecting that Rosie Cotton, her bird, has been letting go. And if you want to know why her bird's name is Rosie Cotton, you can ask her after the service. She had a picture of, I don't know, five, six, seven different kinds of feathers that she had collected that Rosie Cotton had left. And if you look at that picture, and you look at all those feathers laid across from smallest to biggest, 
God reveals himself to you and the feathers of that bird speak to you. Now this sounds quite heretical, but this is what we confess in Article 2 of the Belgian Confession. We understand when we think about how God reveals himself to us, our immediate uh, idea is to say, well, he reveals us, himself to us through the pages of scripture. And that is, of course, true. That's where we learn about Jesus Christ. But the confession, first of all, speaks about how God reveals himself to us through creation, through nature. The creation, preservation, and government of the universe, of the world we live in, and the whole way that it functions, our confession says all of that is like a beautiful book. And the letters in that book, on the pages of that book that speak to us, the letters are creatures that we see in creation. Great creatures and small creatures, snowy owls and budgies in our bedroom. All the big and little pieces of the world of God's creation are letters and sentences in this book of creation. And those letters and those things are speaking to us and they're talking to us and they're telling us about God's eternal power and about God's divine nature. That's what we confess as a Reformed church. That nature speaks to us. That creation is God's mean of revealing himself to humanity. And that's in fact what we read in Psalm 19. In Psalm 19 we read these words, day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, there are no words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out throughout all the earth and their words to the end of the earth. The the author is using poetic language to say that there is this very mysterious, inaudible, but very real and universal language that is being spoken by the created world around us and that this creation is speaking. Have you heard what it's saying? Have you heard what creation is saying? Have you heard it in the heat of the day and in the cold of the night? Because creation speaks in both of those places. Creation speaks in the storm and in the calm, in the colors of a flower, and in the sparkle on white snow in the sunlight. God reveals himself in the ripples on a lake and in the ripples on the sand. In the drops of rain, we hear creation speak. And in the sunlight glimmering inside those drops of rain, God reveals himself. In thunder and in lightning, in the flight and the song of a bird, be that a snowy owl or a budgie. God reveals himself in the movement of your cat in your apartment or the stretching of your dog in the excitement of your puppy. Nature speaks to us. God reveals himself in some sort of mysterious language that we cannot hear. Creation speaks to us. God reveals himself to us through nature. John Calvin, the reformer, said it like this. The works of God in creation bring him close and make him familiar and in a certain way speak to us. Creation brings God close, makes him familiar, and in a certain way speak to us. 
Have you been listening? Have you been listening to creation? Victor Hugo, the French author and poet, said it this way, c'est une triste chose de songer que la nature parle et que le genre humain n'écoute pas. It's a sad thing that nature speaks and, human, and, and mankind does not listen. The way that creation speaks, the way that God reveals himself to us in scripture is mysterious, but the content of that communication is not, it is not mysterious. We confess with the Belgian Confession that what this beautiful book of creation and what all of this nature, this created world that God has written on these pages is communicating to us is the invisible attributes of God, namely his eternal power and divine nature. We learn something about God's eternal power and his divine nature when we look at the created world around us. Psalm 19 says it like this, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky proclaims his handiwork. The heavens, the sky above us are proclaiming the glory of God, his eternal power and his divine nature. That's so true especially of the heavens and the sky. I like what the poet Ralph Waldo Emerson once said. He said this, imagine if the stars only came out once in a thousand years. Imagine if the stars only came out once in a thousand years and that you got to live just at that time when the stars came out. One author reflects on it like this. He says, if that were the case, on that night, no one would sleep we would be ecstatic and delirious, made rapturous by the glory of God proclaimed in the heavens. Instead, the stars come out every night, so we watch TV. When's the last time you looked at the stars? Kind of hard to do if you live downtown. But when's the last time you spent some time looking at the stars and the way that they're declaring the glory of God? God's speaking to us as we look at the stars. I'm fascinated by, by the immense size of the universe. This psalm speaks of the sun, but we know that we have stars so much bigger and greater than our sun. The speed of light is about 300,000 kilometers per second. In one second, if you travel at the speed of light, you can go around the earth seven times. That's about 10,000 billion kilometers a year. So if you travel at the speed of light for one year, you travel 10,000 billion kilometers. Now if you were to be able to travel at the speed of light, you go at 10,000 billion kilometers per year at the speed of light, if you were to do that for 75,000 years, <laughs> you would get to a star cluster called the Eta Carnina, which is about five million times brighter than our sun. And we, we can't grasp those distances and those sizes and the immensity of stars of that size. But we do know that way there in the universe, those stars are declaring the glory of God. And they're telling us something about his divine nature and his eternal power. I read somewhere that there are more stars in the universe 
than there are grains of sand on earth. <laughs> you think of how many grains of sand there are at the beach you like to go to on the summer holidays. There are more stars in the universe, it's estimated, than there are grains of sand on the earth. And if you think that's incredible, then listen to Psalm 147, verse four, which says, the Lord determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Why did the Lord create a universe so big with so many stars? Why did he create a creation so intricate and so beautiful and, and so unfathomable? In order to teach us something about himself. In order to reveal to us something about his divine nature and his eternal power. That he's greater and bigger and more magnificent than all of the things that he's created. Creation brings us to our knees in worship. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. The creation and then the preservation and the government of the universe by God, which is before our eyes as a beautiful book, wherein all the creatures, great and small, all the things that God has created are like so many letters on the page of the book, leading us to perceive clearly God's invisible attributes his eternal power and his divine nature. This is our confession. Revelation in creation brings us to worship. God's revelation in creation brings us to worship him. John Calvin said it like this, there is not one blade of grass and there is no color in the world that is not intended to make us rejoice. To say it positively, every single little blade of grass on earth and every color, every hue, every shade has been designed by God to make his church rejoice in his infinite power and his divine nature. That's why God made it. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Gerard Manley Hopkins, a 19th century poet and priest said this, the whole world is charged with the grandeur of God. It's like an electric charge around us. It's charged with the grandeur of God. So here's maybe what, what some of you kids could do. You could come up to me after church and tell me what your favorite thing about creation or the coolest thing you think about creation. And then I'm gonna ask you what that tells you about God. You can do that over coffee after church today. You know, the world is becoming more and more urbanized. We, we live in urban centers and we tend to be separated more and more from the created world. So for a lot of us city dwellers, we need the push to, to think about this and to meditate on what we confess here. It's perhaps easier if you are a farmer or grew up on a farm or if you're a, a real outdoors person or someone who likes hunting and fishing who spends lots of time in the created world. I think those kind of people perhaps get this better than city slickers like me. I know that there's other people that, that understand this sense of wonder and a sense of God speaking to them and that's scientists. We have a number of scientists and researchers here at Jubilee. 
I'd like to read you a, a passage from an article written by Andy Crouch, who is a pastor married to a physicist. His wife is a, a physicist, a researcher. And he writes this. If there is one personality characteristic of the vast majority of scientists I have met, it is delight. There is something about science that attracts people who are fascinated and thrilled with, by the world. In many scientists, delight is matched by wonder, a sense of astonishment at this beautiful, ingenious complexity to be found in the world. This is not the wonder that comes from ignorance, I wonder how a light bulb really works, but a wonder that comes from understanding. Indeed, as we progress further into humanity's scientific era, we have been able to disabuse ourselves of a mistaken early modern notion that the more the world became comprehensible, the less it would be wonderful. That turns out to not be true at all. Ask a scientist. Wonder grows as understanding grows. Indeed, wonder only grows if understanding grows. If we replace our childlike awe of lightning with an explanation like, it's nothing but a transfer of voltage across a highly resistive material, something of what G.K. Chesterton wittily recalled, nothing but, nothing buttery. Perhaps the world would then seem like a less wonderful place. But those who actually pursue knowledge of lightning, of electromagnetism, or cloud formation, or weather systems, or climate, end up being more in awe of the world than they were of chil as children. This is surely one of the remarkable features of our cosmos. The more we understand it, the more we are in awe of its beautiful elegance and simplicity, and at the same time, its humbling complexity. To be sure, many, if not most scientists do not see this wonderful world in the way that Christians would hope for. For us, wonder is a stepping stone to worship, ascribing our awe for the world to a creator whose worth it reveals. So boys and girls, young men and women, if you wanna pursue the field of science, go for it and fill your life full of wonder and awe at God's creation and give him all the glory for that is why it was, uh, creation was revealed as such. And then for the rest of us, I think that quote teaches us something. That we need to try to increase our understanding about the world in which we live in. And to try to develop an interest in the created world and the revelation and creation that God has given us so that our wonder and our delight can increase and so that then our worship can increase as well. I'd like now to speak perhaps about two different dangers there are in lifting up or in, in, in speaking and concentrating on the beauty and the importance of God's revelation to us in scripture. The, the first danger would be that we would slip into worshiping the creation. And the second danger is, is that we just continue to neglect creation. So briefly, the first one, the worship of creation. I remember I had a, a friend when I was a teenager, he'd grown up in a Christian home and he had left the church as a teenager and he would say things like, oh, every once in a while I just go out into the forest and I sit like on a log and I look at the surroundings and God speaks to me and that's my church. And you know, we, we can kind of smirk and sort of think that's, well, that, that's misguided. P 
part of it I find is understandable. There is a reason why so many people are drawn to worship creation across the world. Because creation, as God's revelation, contains marvels that, that almost seem divine. And so it's misguided to think that creation can be your church or to worship creation, and yet it's understandable. And in fact, we find this in Deuteronomy 4.19, this warning, and beware, lest you raise your eyes to the heaven, and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the host of the heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them, things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. Scripture recognizes that there is a danger because creation is so beautiful and so wonderful and so seemingly magical that we can be drawn toward worshiping it, which is exactly what Paul says in Romans 1.25, where people have exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. So that's the first danger, that we would slip into worship of creation, the creature, rather than giving the glory of God to the creator. The second danger would be this, a failure to spend time in creation. If God reveals himself, if he crosses that ugly ditch and brings himself close to us and makes himself familiar to us, through creation, if he's created every blade of grass and everything in this entire world, all the hues and colors, if he's done that to make us rejoice, to reveal himself, then it would not be a good thing if we neglected that book of creation. And that's a danger, especially if we live in an urban context. Many of you will know the, the book, The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. In The Screwtape Letters, the what's going on is there's a, a senior devil and he's training through correspondence, a junior devil, on how to intercept a man who's on the verge of becoming a Christian. And so they're having an exchange. And so God in, in this exchange is called the enemy because he's the enemy of the devils. And the junior devil, he's doing his best to distract his subject, this person, from all things that could lead him to a belief in God. But he's being unsuccessful. And so the frustrated young devil, he can't understand what's going wrong with his ploys, but he, he does note that the man is taking a long walk every day and he's thoroughly enjoying the air and the scenery as he walks along. And to this, the senior devil responds sharply. I quote, this is where you've gone terribly wrong. You should have put it into his mind that he had to get up in the morning and take that walk for the sake of exercise. It would have become drudgery to him. You've allowed him to enjoy such pleasure in his nature walk that the enemy's voice, that is God's voice, has become audible within that experience. And C.S. Lewis is suggesting that one of the ways that the, Lord, that the devil would like to attack you so that you don't bring glory to God and so that God is less familiar to you is by making you avoid spending time admiring creation. I read an excellent article this past week by an author named Scott Martin. And as a Christian man, he, he talks a little bit about what he sees we, what happens when we fail to spend time in creation. He says this, when we fail to spend time in creation, we lose a dimension of the grandeur and the glory of God. We lose a sense of the sublime that we experience standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon or staring down mortality in a class five rapid or intentionally exposing ourselves to the brutality of a winter storm. 
We lose a sense of wonder when we're not planting flowers or harvesting food in our garden or watching a bird build a nest. We miss opportunities for gratitude and for worship when we don't take time to pause before the simplicity of a tree, taking in its bark and its leaves and its shape and its form, realizing that this little piece of nature is perfectly achieving the purpose God has set for it. He quotes John Calvin, there's not one blade of grass and one, no color in the world that's not intended to make us rejoice. But when we're far from the grass and far from the colors of this world, we miss out on opportunities to rejoice. He continues like this. We also miss a, a sense of healthy proportion and orientation. Exposure to creation reveals that we are small and God is big. It humbles us and reminds us of who we are in relation to a holy God. I always get that one on my first night of canoe camping. As I bravely crawl into the tent, assuring everybody that we're safe, and then can't stop thinking about bears. And I feel a little bit out of my element, and I feel small before the grandeur of God's creation, and more importantly, the grandeur of God. This author here then continues and says this interesting thing. Technologies have distorted our sense of proportion. Technologies like smartphones by placing us firmly in the center of the universe, wholly within our digital grasp. They situate us as consumers who need not bother going outside because the world is infinitely accessible on the device in our pocket. Our digital environments sever us from God's beautiful creation. But God does not remove us from a creation. He intentionally keeps us in it. We are removing ourselves. Recognizing the spiritual dangers that come with ambivalence toward creation then, Christians should be leading the way in modeling a healthy appreciation for and connection to the beautiful world around us. Now let me say this. There are some of us, including my wife, who describes herself as indoorsy. And sometimes for us who are outdoorsy, who just love the outdoors, we can make others who are indoorsy feel kind of guilty. And there is certainly a, a cultural element, especially for, for middle and upper class white people, that they love going outside and going camping, right? I have a black friend who goes camping, he says every time I go camping, people always ask me what I'm doing, because black people don't go camping. It tends to be a cultural, middle, upper class, white person thing to love the outdoors and go do outdoorsy type things. That might be true, okay? But let's ignore that for a moment and just think about what we're confessing here. Whether you're indoorsy or outdoorsy, can we not confess that if God is, is crossing the ugly ditch to make himself familiar and, and reveal himself to us through the created world, that we should pay attention to that? that in some way in our life we should pay attention to how God is speaking to us through creation? So let's think about a little bit about, well, how do we do that? How, how, what kind of practical way things could we do in order to, to be paying more attention to God's revelation of himself in creation? We wouldn't say creation, I wouldn't say creation is as important as reading your Bible. The Bible is where we learn about Jesus Christ. 
cannot be saved just by looking at creation. But nevertheless, creation is important. That same author, Scott Martin, he makes four suggestions. I'm gonna add a few to them. He suggests that we try to intentionally make time to go outside. It's estimated that North Americans spend 93% of their time indoors, including inside vehicles. And so we have to be intentional about trying to spend time outside to sit under a tree and have coffee outside or walk in the forest or even spend a couple of minutes just looking out the window into your backyard on a cold day. We need to find time to do that and try to build that into our lives. That can be difficult. To find sustained periods of of quietness where we can observe and, and pray and look at God's revelation to us in creation. Find places where creation can confront us with our mortality where we realize that we're only very small in a, in a vast world of an all-powerful God. That might mean that when you plan your holidays for the summer, you think to yourself, how can I plan the holidays so that I or my family and I can spend time outdoors enjoying the created world? He then suggests that it would be a good thing to go out in all kinds of weather and at all times of the day. So who remembers as a kid when their parents allowed them to go run outside during a rainstorm and run around in the puddles in the rain? And you just loved that as a kid. You got to be out in the elements in a way that you usually weren't. This also suggests that maybe we should do that as adults. It might look kind of funny if you're all dancing on your driveway in a rainstorm and your neighbors will think you're, you're lunatics. But it, it could be interesting, couldn't it? To go, you ever gone for a walk in the middle of a harsh winter storm? You've got the elements battling against you. It's a unique experience. God's provided us with seasons and he's given us different kinds of weather for a reason. He could have made all of the earth have the same temperature and the same weather all the time, but he didn't. There's aspects of God's glory, his infinite um, power and his eternal nature to be experienced in all these conditions. And they quicken our soul to worship. You get wet and you get cold and you get hot and you worship the Lord for the beautiful world that he created. So let's not become oblivious to all of the drama that exists in the created world and the air and the winds and the clouds and the precipitation. He then gives this advice. He says that, you know, this is less for us since we don't own our own church building, but he figures that it would be good if if churches did a good job keeping care of their landscaping and their grounds. That as you walked into church, you saw something of the beauty of God's revelation through the created world. It's a little bit true as you walk down the pathway here in the summertime and the flowers are in bloom, sort of prepares you for worship. Right? It prepares you by God, God revealing to himself in, in those beautiful ways. He then says we should, we should try to enjoy those local parks and those national forests, those public lands. We're so blessed here in Ottawa to have so much physical beauty around us in all kinds of different times of the year. There's so many trails that go through the green belt and so many ways you can be outdoors and in land that's been set aside by the government for those reasons. He gives an interesting quote from a book by Mark Stoll called Inherit the Holy Mountain, Religion and the Rise of American Environmentalism. And in that he he suggests that the reason we have national parks and pieces of creation set aside in North America is because of our our Christian heritage. He says this, protection of nature as a common good and not just something for the nobility or the wealthy is an underappreciated, uniquely American witness of of the reformed Christian community. His argument is, is that if you believe Article 2 of the Belgian Confession, 
that created world is God revealing himself to you, then that leads you to build a culture that tries to keep care of that created world and even sets parts of it apart so that people can then just go enjoy it. We have those because we exist as a nation with Christian roots. You could begin then to add a whole bunch of different other things and you could brainstorm about how you can build an appreciation for the created world into your life. It might just mean that you stop to pet people's dogs. Kids do that. They go up and ask people to pet their dogs. Why don't I do that as an adult? To pet people's dogs and, and cats and to admire the, the, the beauty in that. God revealing himself in that. Put up bird feeders around your house. Right? I try to get creation to, to be around your house so that you can see some of that beauty. And then of course not all of us are able to do all of those things. And, and in the former quote that I had, he sort of you know, thought negatively about technology pulling us away from creation. But for those of us who are housebound or live in areas where it's minus 40 all winter and you can't really go outside, well you can watch movies. There's so many beautiful movies, also Christian movies about God's created world that you can watch together with friends or with your family to stand in awe and worship God for the beauty that he's created in nature. I know that Sometimes I, I, I get bothered when I'm with people who when they're, they're seeing something beautiful and all they're doing is standing behind their camera taking pictures and I'm like, no, put that away, just enjoy it. Until I had a photographer said to me, no, that's the way that I'm enjoying it. As I look through the created world through the lens of my camera, I'm appreciating it even more. For me, that's worship. So perhaps photography of nature is a, is a hobby to cultivate. You can subscribe to good creation-oriented uh, magazines and, and YouTube channels. You can visit zoos. The Museum of Nature here in Ottawa is free every Thursday, and a season pass costs you, you know, about 200 bucks for your whole family. Try to think about ways that you can incorporate an appreciation of God's revelation through creation into your daily life. And you know what's gonna happen when you do that? you're gonna experience all kinds of good things. You can look up all kinds of non-Christian psychologists who will cite the, the psychological benefits of spending time in nature, the improved mood and decreased stress levels and the recovery from a mental fatigue after a long day at work. So you're gonna receive all of those beautiful benefits. And then of course you're gonna to get to know God better if you have two people, one of them spends all their time reading the Bible and the other one spends all their time reading the Bible and spending time in creation, who gets to know God better? The second one. You'll get to know God better. And then of course, the biggest thing is is that all of the glory will be going to God. You will be glorifying God more in your life and more often in your life if you're spending time in creation. Creation allows you to worship God as you just walk around and view the things that God has placed in your path. And all of that praise, all of that glory goes to God and it goes to him as the triune God. Because it's God the Father who's the creator, the maker of heaven and earth, and so we worship the first person of the Trinity. But then Colossians 1.16 says about Christ, for in him all things were created, things on heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Thrones or powers, rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So when you're in creation and you're worshiping God, you're also worshiping Jesus. You're worshiping the second person of the Trinity. 
And then Psalm 104 talks about when you, O Lord, send for your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. As the spirit hovered above the waters of creation, he continues to hover over creation today and renewing it. And so as you spend time in the created world, you worship the third person of the Trinity. And so your worship goes to God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. So brothers and sisters, let nature orient you to worship of God. The creation and the preservation and the government of the universe, it's all laid out in front of our eyes as a most beautiful book where all the creatures, the snowy owl and rosy cotton, the budgie, all as so many letters leading us to perceive clearly God's invisible attributes, his eternal power and his divine nature. We close our sermons here at Jubilee with a prayer and I'm gonna ask you to say a prayer with me to finish off this sermon. I'm gonna ask you to open your Bibles to Psalm 104. Psalm 104, not the rhymed version but the text version and this is gonna work if you're reading from the ESV. What we're gonna do is we're gonna read this psalm together. I'm gonna read one verse and then you're gonna read one verse in unison. So I'm gonna read verse one, you'll read verse two, I'll read verse three, all the way through to the end of the psalm. And then we're gonna stand together and we're gonna sing Psalm 104. So let's do that. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. garment. He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. Makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flaming fire. He sets the earth on its foundations so that it should never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke they fled. At the sound of your thunder they took to flight. The mountains rose, the valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass so that they might not again cover the earth. You make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the fields. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them, the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode, you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for men to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen man's heart. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. In them the birds build their nests, the stork has her home in the fir trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats, the rocks are a refuge for the rock badgers. He made the moon to mark the seasons, the sun knows its time for setting. You make darkness and it is night, and when all the beasts of the forest creep about, the young lions roar for the prey, seeking their food from God. And when the sun rises, they steal away and lie down in their dens. Man goes out to his work 
and to his labor until evening. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan, which you formed to play in it. All these look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works who looks down on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have been. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. Amen.